Thank you, Lord. Amen. To forgive or not to forgive? That should not be the question. Every Christian should know that forgiveness, there has to be forgiveness. And what we've been singing about this morning is the fact that we are forgiven. Jesus paid it all. He paid a debt that he did not owe. And uh, I owed a debt that I could not pay. And forgiveness is what fuels the Christian life. And if you don't forgive... You can't be free. And what I, I consider today a subject that is so important, this may be one of my most, not the most, but maybe one of my most important messages, so I'm glad a lot of people are here. And you might say, well, I don't have a problem with forgiveness, and, uh, and if not, that's great. But this isn't just talking about forgiving on a major level, although we're going to discuss that to a degree. But every day we're faced with the issue of, are we going to forgive? When that person cuts you off in traffic, what's your reaction going to be? Someone cuts in line. Someone does you wrong. You, you receive a, a, a bill that uh, you shouldn't have received. You know, every day we're confronted with, how are we going to react? Are we going to be at peace? Are we going to get riled up? Are we going to have this bitterness come alive in us because of something that's going on? And the truth is, is that unforgiveness, no matter what size it is, is not healthy. It kills you inside. It short circuits peace, power, joy. Well, you don't know what they did to me, you might say. And you're right. And, uh, and like I said, this could be a very complicated thing because sometimes you have a will to forgive, but you feel unable to forgive. And you're right, something terrible may have happened to you. There may be things that it's just very difficult to get over. And so I'm not taking this light. You don't just wave a magic wand and say, just forgive, all right? My title is Be Free and Forgive. Just do it. Be free and forgive. Sometimes it takes a little more than just saying that magic phrase, okay. And, uh, and you don't want to just also forgive and, and not really feel it in your heart. So these are issues. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. But the truth of the matter is, is that uh, we have to have forgiveness and we have to give forgiveness. And so in Matthew 6, 12, as we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, the verse is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And as I mentioned last week, it's interesting that this comes as far down in the Lord's Prayer as it does, because normally we would be taught as we go into prayer that we want to go in first and confess. We want to ask for forgiveness. Then we may be able to give. But instead, in the Lord's Prayer, we come first positioning ourselves as children of God. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We come in a way of worship. We say, first and foremost, it's not about me, it's about our Father. And then we come in a place of partnership. We're partnering with God saying, your kingdom agenda is what I want. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's also worship. We're giving worship to the Lord. We're saying, I'm putting you first. Your agenda goes before mine. And uh, then after that, the third petition is, give us this day our daily bread. 
And as I said last week, this comes before forgiveness. This, and it's not just coming and begging God. It almost sounds like a command. Give us this day. We don't command God, but we come in worship. And in that worship, we, we place ourselves in the family setting that we are children of God. And we can be bold and we can say, give us this day our daily bread. And he gives us that provision. So we have position, children of God, partnership with the kingdom agenda and provision, daily bread. Now, I'm sure you can guess what the P word we're going to use for forgiving. Anyone know? We got one. Pardon. Pardon. So we're talking about pardon. And the nice thing is that we start the, this prayer with our Father. We come as children. And so we can do that. But if we were coming as servants, if we were coming as slaves, we couldn't start with our Father. We'd have to come with forgiveness. But forgiveness is later on down. And as forgiveness is central in the Lord's prayer, forgiveness needs to be central in our lives. It's the hub of the wheel of faith. And it's central to your health spiritually and physically. We've all heard reports even from science, it says that their bitterness and anger can wear away at you physically. I mean, it'll hurt you spiritually, but it can hurt you physically, too. People have uh, contracted diseases holding on to grudges in a powerful way, and we don't want that for our lives. We want to be released from that. We have to have forgiveness. We have to give forgiveness. And there's good news and bad news. The good news is, is that we have forgiveness in Christ Jesus, and the bad news is is some some people do not give it. And when you do not give it, that may be a reason that things aren't in line in your life. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God has forgiven you, but you are out of whack. And so if we recognize this in our lives, we want to get ourselves back in whack. And how do we do that? And hopefully we get some hints today. Uh, let's look at Matthew 6, 14 and 15. This comes right after the Lord's Prayer. And this shows unforgiveness can block the flow of God in your life. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this is an interesting statement that the Lord's making. It means that the flow of God is going to be blocked. You are not going to receive forgiveness unless you forgive. But this is a prayer that the Lord was teaching before the new covenant was ratified and established. Because the gospel is about whosoever believes it's not about whosoever forgives. And this is looking like, well, if you don't forgive, then you're not going to be forgiven. In Christ, in the gospel, from the cross to the resurrection to the ascension, we are forgiven in him. And it has turned around. Look at um, Ephesians 4.32. This is the new covenant expression of this statement here. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, now it's the other way around. God has forgiven you. You have received forgiveness, so therefore go forgive. And what does the Lord's Prayer say? Forgive us our debts, we've been forgiven, 
as we forgive our debtors. Then we, we forgive because we've been forgiven. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. So considering what Jesus taught in those verses in Matthew 6, 14, and 15, and what Paul is teaching in these verses, Ephesians 4, 32, and Colossians 3, 13, uh, we could name this message two different titles. And I think I called it Be Free and Forgive. That's one title. The other title could be Forgive and Be Free. And I'm here today to say that those are two good titles. Choose whichever one you want. They don't contradict each other. I think they complement each other. We don't throw out what Jesus said in those verses. For when we pray, forgive us our debts in the Lord's Prayer. And as I've said before, remember, the Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer. It's also a model for our Christian walk. It's a model for our Christian life. We want to walk in these things, live in these things. So when we make that petition, forgive us our debts. We are placing ourselves in a humble position. We are remembering the mercy that God has given to us. And it puts us in perspective. It helps us get into that perspective and that we can receive and know that we are forgiven. But when we read in verses 14 and 15, you forgive or your father won't forgive you, that still is not thrown away. We do not throw that away. But it it's simply could be understood as you want the Father to hear your prayers. You want the Father to answer your prayers. You have to get this unforgiveness out. I believe you're forgiven because of the work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By faith, all you have to do is say, yes, Lord, I believe. And you are forgiven. All, all is canceled. He paid it all. And now... When we say forgive us our debts, we are remembering that forgiveness and we are also keeping short accounts with the Lord. There is a place for us still to ask forgiveness, but it's different from the total salvation forgiveness. We already start with that. We are in relationship with God. We are the children of God. And yet 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we still have to confess our sins, but we are forgiven. These are talking about short accounts, keeping short accounts and keeping the flow of God, the health of God. You're, you're keeping yourself spiritually healthy by keeping these short accounts with God. And so forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We are keeping the lines of fellowship clean and open. But apart from that, our relationship is secured in Christ. If I do something that's not right and say something wrong to my wife, Jennifer, I will ask her forgiveness, and that will restore the fellowship, hopefully. But, you know, she, our relationship doesn't change when I haven't asked forgiveness. But it's just not being enjoyed as much, but it's still a secure relationship. We're still, we're still, uh, we, that doesn't change anything. But you keep short accounts, you confess your sins. If you know you've sinned, you confess it. 
And Lord, I'm sorry that was wrong. Thank you for this forgiveness. Thank you that you're cleansing me from all unrighteousness. You go forward. You don't beat yourself up. You don't, you don't mope around for three days thinking what a worm I am, what a scum I am. You just rejoice and worship God because he paid it all. And it's all, it's all clear. It's all by faith, by grace. We are in a position of favor with God. That's, that's an awesome thing. As we were singing these songs today, I'm thinking about how, how many uh, ugly things I've learned this week that are going on in the world that I just think, when is it all going to come to an end? And we're going to get into the place of perfection. And then we, we're singing these songs today, and I'm thanking the Lord. Lord. Thank you that you have put me in a position of favor and grace where I'm forgiven, and that I don't have to be shut out from that, that we will be redeemed. Salvation is ours, and... Even though there's things that I miss, you have forgiven them. And if I realize something and I know it, then boom, I'm going to confess it. I want to keep short accounts. I want to keep that flow of God, that fellowship of God. I want to keep that enjoyment in my life. God still loves me when I don't. God's disappointed, perhaps. But I want to keep those short accounts. Now, this is what I recommend. And some churches... I've been in several churches, actually, where there will be a time in the worship service where they'll say, okay, before we begin, we're going to pray, and we're just going to take a moment of silence and confess our sins to the Lord. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm thinking it's a little bit off the mark. Because if you know you've sinned, then you ought to get rid of it as soon as you know it. You don't wait for Sunday morning and the worship leader to say, hey, let's stop for a second now and confess our sins. I mean, fine, it's better late than never. But I'm saying keep short accounts. You confess them when you know it and be done with it. And to hold on to something until you get to church is not the right way. And the other problem with that is, too, is that you may not be aware of any sins at the time. I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're not accountable at that moment for sins that you're not aware of. And it doesn't do any good to go searching in your heart for depths and blackness and, and faults and failures to make you come up with something. We're not to be that sin conscious. We're supposed to be sun conscious. We're supposed to be praising the Lord because he has taken care of all that. And if you know something, by all means, cough it up, get it out, confess it and be done with it. You are forgiven. You don't have to wait three days before God's going to answer your prayers again. It's, it's wonderful. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm not uh, condemning people that do that at churches, but I'm, I'm just saying be aware of that. It's not something you don't go looking for darkness. But when you do realize that you've sinned, get rid of it. It's like taking a shower. You just get clean. But you're... you're, you're Good with God, not because you asked for that forgiveness, but because Christ has forgiven you from the cross and you placed your faith in him. Amen. So now, the sin of unforgiveness. We, we know that it's wrong to hold on to unforgiveness. And this is shown in Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. This is a powerful story in the Word that can help you not only to know the sin of unforgiveness, but hopefully to encourage you and empower you to be able to forgive. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. 
And in other words, he's saying, you're going to lose track. You're going to lose count. You've got to be on forgiveness mode, even if it keeps coming at you. Now, this doesn't mean that you excuse people's wrongdoing. This doesn't mean that you just brush it off and say enough, there's no accountability or there's no way of repair or anything like that. It doesn't mean that you just, well, I'm going to trust this person again. I forgive him, so I'm going to try. No, you can forgive, but still there needs to be a reestablishment of trust. There needs to be slow steps towards uh, being back in a good relationship sometimes. The point of it is, though, is that your heart is set free from the bondage of bitterness towards this person or this group of people or whatever it is that, that is tempting unforgiveness. It doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden, you know, if a, a babysitter came to my house when my kids were young and stole goods from my house and then later I found out and she asked for forgiveness or he asked for forgiveness, I'd say, okay, I forgive you, but I'm not going to hire that person again not unless through a, a relationship I, I really get some trust reestablished, okay? But I don't have to let that eat away. I, I can still be kind and, and, and bless that person in other ways if, if, if there's opportunities and things like that. I don't have to have it weigh me down. So seven times 77. What was it? Seven times 70? Seventy times seven. Okay. All right. I was not always good at math. But uh, you, you can do the math. Anyway, <laughs> 490. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was in English. I was into English. Okay. So anyway, uh, the, the story goes on. When he had begun to settle accounts, oh, there was, there was a kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who brought to him. Where are we? Okay, brought to him a servant who owed him something. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made, sent into debtor's prison. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. How would you feel? You were just, you had this incredible burden, this weight, and you were going to debtor's prison, and now that compassionate master said, you're free, go. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. And I read from Vincent's commentary that a hundred denarii was about less than a millionth of what that guy was forgiven. Less than a millionth. And what's the point there? It's like what God has forgiven us is so incredibly large and beyond our comprehension that by comparison, whatever offense we've taken in would look like less than a millionth. Even the most serious things, when you consider eternity and all that we deserved and all the grace that we've received and what we have that is before us, what God has purchased for us, it can make everything look like less than a millionth. But we have to put ourselves in that perspective, that frame, that thankfulness and remembering that mercy that God's given to us. So this guy's fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you to, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So again, Jesus, before his death and resurrection, is preaching in an old covenant context. It doesn't mean we forget or throw out what he says, but we have to put it in the right context. And he's saying, you are in trouble if you do not do this. But it is a matter of works if it stays in this place. Once he dies and, and rises again, it is grace. But the point remains, and I think you don't throw out any of this, but you get the point from this, that you should not expect from the Father what you yourself are unwilling to give. If you are forgiven a huge debt of all kinds of thousands and millions, and you are not willing to forgive less than a millionth, why would you expect any blessing of God in your life? Why would you expect that from the Lord? Notice I said if you are unwilling, I didn't say if you are unable. And I know that sometimes we can find ourselves unable to forgive someone. We might be willing, but we cannot find it within it. We cannot find the power. And when that's the case, we have to realize that something is wrong. That like when you get sick, something's wrong here. I got to do something. Got to take my medicine. I got to spray my nasal spray. Some people have been doing that this week, more than one. Um, and there's, I got to see the doc. You got to get this thing fixed. And so the same thing, if you find yourself unable to release someone, to, to forgive someone, you are in a place of bondage and you need to get uh, unsick again. And one of the ways to do that is, again, considering from that parable all that God has forgiven us. And then as we pray, forgive us our debts, it prompts us to remember God's mercy. And when we put ourselves back into a mindset, a frame of understanding just how great a debt he's paid on our behalf, that can change our hearts and move us on to as we forgive our debtors. So... As we consider this, we talked about the sin of unforgiveness. Let's talk about the win of forgiveness. All right, let's leave the sin of unforgiveness and go into the win of forgiveness. When we first moved back to America, we started receiving all these mailers for sweepstakes. Uh, and I, we don't get so many of them now, I guess. But uh, we were on a list or something, publisher's house, publisher's clearing house, and all the sweepstakes. And we kept thinking, what? This is great. Just scratch this thing off and we're set for life, right? And it just never seemed to work out. We subscribed to all these. No, <laughs> I think we subscribed to one. But anyway, what if you got uh, some bills in the mail? You got these huge bills or what if your mortgage statement came and it said forgiven, stamped forgiven? Wouldn't that be nice? What, what does it mean? Well, the Greek behind the word forgive is to, for release or dismissal. So, it, you know, credit card bill comes. Here we go again. Another reminder. There's a red stamp. 
forgiven, released, dismissal. What a breath of fresh air. What a freedom. What a delight, a joy. That heavy weight is gone, released, dismissed. And you know, uh, some of us have big payments, car payments, house payments, things like that, which we're getting through, and, and, but yet it's always there. What we have been released and dismissed from as far as the kingdom of God goes is far greater than our heaviest burdens that we're dealing with here. In fact, uh, Luke 11.4 is where the Lord's Prayer is stated again, and they don't say forgive us our debts like in Matthew, but says forgive us our sins. And so when we combine the two, think of what the Lord might be saying through the inspiration of Scripture. We've got debts, things that we have owed, omissions. Sins are things that we have done, commissions. So by the accounts of heaven, our bill is tremendous. If we think of all the things that we've done, that's pretty bad. But what we owe, what we haven't done, that adds to it. And there's nothing like it if you were really to get a picture of that. That's why I say it does no good to look in your heart for darkness during a moment of confession because if you were to find something, it would lead down the rabbit hole into greater and greater depths. There is so much that needs perfection. And uh, thank God for the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imputed to us, that actually becomes ours, and that this heart well of sin and darkness has been taken care of, has been done, and it's not even looked upon in the Lord's sight because of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. We've won greater than the sweepstakes. No sweepstakes can compare to that. How did we get in over our heads so much? I don't know, but Psalm 103 is a wonderful verse 10 through 12 says, He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah. And we say the east is far from the west. They, they say that they can never meet because they're continually going far away. You've heard that before probably, but it's always good to remember that he has removed our transgressions. How many times a week, a day, that an hour you can feel I'm not worthy or something's just not right here and yet he's removed all of that out of his great love for us. That's wonderful. So if I can get a hold of that, if I can get myself back into that and receiving the love of God and receiving that forgiveness, knowing that everything's okay, that I'm highly favored in the Lord, you're highly favored in the Lord. It's not by what we do or what we've held on to or what we don't have, but it's what Jesus has done and supplied and secured for us. When we get to that place, we can move from forgive us our debts to as we forgive our debtors. Now, have you received so much from the Lord and yet hold a grudge against somebody? And like I said before, your unforgiving spirit doesn't keep God from loving you, but it's a short circuit in your life. It's a short circuit from the peace, the power, the joy, the victory that God wants to let you walk in. And it eats away at you. It allows 
the offender control over you? Have you ever thought about holding on to a grudge, holding unforgiveness against somebody, eats away at you, causes you stress, anger, hurts you physically as well as spiritually, and all the while, the person that has offended you is not harmed by it whatsoever. They don't, they don't even know that you're seething and, and going nuts inside and giving them rent-free space in your mind. It doesn't affect them. It's affecting you and me when we hold on to these things. And we're talking about who, who is in control. You are actually allowing that offender, that person, that organization, that institute, whatever it is that you're unforgiving, you're allowing that lordship in your life. And that's not going to give you the good, the good blessing. That's not going to give you what you need. And so we have to consider this. To forgive is divine. You want to be like the Lord, forgive is divine. But to hold a grudge, that sounds more like Satan. And so we give Satan control when we hold on to these things. We give Satan the, the pride that he had. His whole ministry was fueled by a grudge and continues to be fueled by a grudge. And when we play by his rules, he continues to administer his medicine, his poison. See, God will give you medicine. God will give you healing. If you're unable to forgive, you can go to God. You can consider his forgiveness. You can ask him for that ability, and he will give you medicine. He will set the captives free. He will heal the brokenhearted. But sometimes it means you have to get a setting. He needs to set something to heal a broken bone or something. He has to have you. You have to be taking his medicine, and his medicine will have effect. If it doesn't have effect, the minute you sit down and ask him for him, stay in position, take your daily dose, take the gospel, your pills every morning, the promises of God, and the medicine will have effect. He will heal you. But if you hold on to the grudge and you continue to go in the devil's way, the devil doesn't give you medicine, the devil gives you poison. And unfortunately, sometimes that poison tastes pretty good. And that's why we take it, because it's easier and it goes down better. Sometimes the medicine on, that really helps us, we don't actually enjoy that so much. But we have to see what we're taking in and how that is affecting us. Um, bitterness will dam up power, gifts, and victory. And as we forgive our debtors, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, should be a declaration that we're making in prayer. It's a declaration that we are going to do it God's way. We are not going to be like the world. The world loves revenge. And we like those movies where the bad guys get their just comings, right? They're just desserts served on a cold platter. You know, revenge. And there's, and there's a thing about justice. I think the appeal a lot of the times is we want to see justice. But we don't want to follow the worldly path of revenge. I'd, I'd enjoy it more to see somebody change, somebody who deserved all that vengeance, but then they were truly repentant and they became a, a hero along with the good guys and helped out. That's always a heartwarming thing, right? But see, we don't want to follow the world. We say, as we forgive our debtors, we are saying, I am of the family of God. I'm not of the family of the world that plays it this way or of Satan that plays it this way, but I'm as of my Lord and Master Jesus Christ. 
And now think of the victory. It's not always easy, but Jesus was totally undeserving of anything that he went through for us. And I could imagine the powers of darkness just having a celebration and party as he was going to the cross. And as the powers of darkness watched as the centurions hammered the nails into his hands and as they, they mocked him and stole his robe and put the crown of thorns on as they lifted up, hoisted up that cross and they saw the suffering, the sweat and the blood angst of Jesus in that terrible, desperate situation. The powers of darkness, principalities and minions of hell were probably all celebrating, getting ready to pour their champagne saying, we've done it. Let's have no more talk about a savior. This is it. There's no more king of Israel for these guys. This is the end of the line. Here he goes. And then as he's about to gasp and open his mouth, they're saying, here it comes. It's over. They hear the very words that they were trying to stifle. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Clash, the, the drinks drop. What? That's the end. That's the victory. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It had to happen. It had to be paid. The price had to be paid. And now there's forgiveness and it is finished. And there is defeat in the camps of hell. And it says in Colossians that he made a public spectacle of these powers of darkness. When? When did he make that spectacle? I believe it was on the cross when he uttered those words. It is finished. The whole work was done and it was all based on the love and power of God. And in the end, Jesus Christ was vindicated, raised from the dead, given the name above all other names and a kingdom that will last on and on forever and ever. Handel's Messiah sang about it. He shall reign forever and ever. The only problem with that song is, is that it ends. <laughs> But he's going to reign. He was vindicated, will be vindicated, and we will join in on that victory celebration. And when you do the hard thing, when you follow that path of your Lord, when you release all the demons of bitterness and unforgiveness, not only will you become healthier spiritually and probably physically, but you will also be vindicated at some point. And you'll see God enter in in ways that maybe you hadn't imagined I experienced something like that, I think, when uh, we lived in a certain place in China at the early days when our kids were just young. I think uh, Matthew was a baby or something, and we lived in this apartment complex, and our landlord lived next door to us. And he had a habit of coming home drunk and turning on karaoke. And he would sing karaoke in a drunken manner, and it was often quite loud and never good. <laughs> and so we would often be treated to his concert performances and hear from our thinly lined walls. You, couldn't, you could hear maybe a little beat from the music, but you could never hear the music. It was just his voice going. And uh, it was worse than that, actually. <laughs> But you couldn't do anything about it because in that culture, you cannot... It's, it wasn't like American culture. Our culture, it's perfectly acceptable for you to knock on the door and say, hey, would you mind turning it down or something? Uh, at that time in China, that wasn't a cultural thing to do, and it seemed even more inappropriate if us, the foreigners, were coming in and doing that. So we let it go quite often. But there was just one night 
that uh, we were putting our son down for sleep and we were trying to get him to sleep and then all of a sudden this thing comes on again too loud. We were tired. We wanted to go to bed and it was waking up our kid and I just said, I've had enough. I have to go and say something. So I had it in my heart. I was going to be very polite and kind, but I had to go say something. So I went over to his next door and I knocked and he's croaking, I mean karaoke and uh, I knocked again. He couldn't, I finally knocked hard, and the music turns off. And he comes to the door, and he opens it up, looks at me, and I'm ready to be real nice and polite. And before I got a chance to say a word, he just looks at me with this fierce blaze of anger, and then he slams the door, boom, in my face. And I sat there like, and I started to get red. And I started to think, who is he? Who does he think he is? Who is he to do that to me? And I, re I had to remember, I'm a missionary, <laughs> and I'm a Christian, so I can't have these thoughts. So I was like, forgive. I've got to forgive him. So I walked back to, uh, to our apartment, and I got in bed to go to sleep. And, and meanwhile, I, the more I laid there and thought about it, the more I started seething. And I just said, that guy... Who is he to do that to me? And it's, I started playing it over, and I started thinking what, and then I kept thinking, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. i got to be forgiving. I knew it was right to forgive, but somehow I found it a little bit uh, unable to forgive at that moment. And, I, and so it bothered me, and I was, I was like beating myself up over it. So I was angry at that person, and I was angry at myself because I couldn't seem to forgive, and I was beating myself up. And so I'm just trying, that's when you know, okay, something's wrong, see the doctor. So I go to the Lord, and I'm seeing the doctor, and I remembered at that point, I remembered a helpful thing that I had once read. And this, this uh, preacher once said that in, in a war, you aim for the enemy, you don't aim for the horses. And so he was saying the enemy is not that person that's offending you. The enemy are the demons that are controlling that person or the powers or whatever, whatever it is. Don't go for him. Go for those spiritual enemies. Go after him and forgive that person. And I'm thinking back to this old illustration. And I was thinking about it thinking, no, it doesn't help me. <laughs> I still had a problem here. I mean, that's a good illustration, and it could help maybe in a different situation, but it wasn't helping me, and I still had a problem. So I kept thinking, who is he to do that to me? Who is he to do that to me? And then the Lord graciously directed my heart to Jesus, and I started to look to Jesus on the cross, and I looked at, I went back in my mind how he was unjustly treated, how he was nailed to that cross, how the Pharisees abused him and uh, accused him, and it was all false, it was all unjust, and all this stuff. And I started to think the perfect Christ was there on that cross. Who were they? Who were they to do all that? Who were they to do all that to him? And me, you and me, we have faults and failures, and we deserve things sometimes, but there was absolutely nothing in Jesus that deserved any of what was treated to him. Nothing. And I kept started, I started to revert my thinking, thinking, who were they? These, these evil ones, and, and we're all a part of that. Who were they to do that to him? The spotless lamb of God without any blemish. The, the ultimate expression, communication of love in the incarnation 
who never hurt a soul but healed multitudes and would later save multitudes. Who were they to do that to him? And as I considered that and placed myself with him up there on the cross, I heard his voice say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that pounded me. That touched my heart so much. It was like a total shower of forgiveness came over me that I had for this guy next door. And so I, I was okay. I could go to sleep in peace. I wasn't angry with him anymore. I just said, no. In fact, I made a plan. I was going to say, next time I see him, I'm just going to put my arm around him like we're best friends. And so the next day I saw him and I, I said, hey, how you doing? Put my arm around him saying, what are you doing this week and all that stuff? And actually, that was the beginning of a friendship. He started to invite us to his second home where he made dinner for us and everything. And we became good friends. And I think even the karaoke kind of quieted, quieted down a bit. But uh, so it all ended well because God showed me something. It's, it's when we look to Jesus for forgiveness forgiveness or for anything that we're in need of, just as they lifted up those serpent, that serpent on the pole, Moses in the wilderness, and they looked to that serpent, they were healed. So Jesus was lifted up. And when we look to him, we receive from him. We receive the love, the grace, the power, and the power to do things that maybe we weren't able to do before that. We are healed when we look to him, when we see him and understand the price that was paid, the cost that it cost him, and the goods that he secured for us. So that is the pardon which brings the power to us in Christ. We've talked about position as children. We've talked about partnership with God in his kingdom agenda. Provision, he has it all for us daily. And pardon, he has given us such a pardon and peace through that that if we allow that to affect us, we can have his power to give it to others. It doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from him. But he has promised to do that for us if we will believe and receive from him. It brings freedom and it brings release. And forgiveness is central to the Christian life. It's central in being reconciled to God and it's central in being God's ambassador to the nations, to the neighbors. And the question for you today is, will you walk in that? Some of you may have to deal with this as we go into our uh, closing song. Maybe we'll spend the time just praying a little bit. Maybe you'll take it home and deal with it. If you have some issue that you are unable to forgive, some person you are unable to forgive, Go to the great physician, start to take the medicine and let him heal you and be free. Be free because it's not doing the other any good to hold on. And some of you may have that person actually be yourself. Maybe you can't forgive yourself. And that's weighing you down and blocking the flow of God in your life. If God can forgive you that 10,000 denarii, whatever it was. How can you hold on to something that God has paid such a precious price for out of a heart of joy and love 
to be reconciled to you. All he wants is you. And how can you slap his face and say the cross wasn't good enough? Forgive yourself. Let it go. Be released because God has released you. And that is what you need to fly. So, Randy, can you come up and, and we'll do this last song? And let's just do a heart search. And again, if you don't have an issue, let these things fuel you to uh, interact with people, those who cut you off and those who give you the wrong change or whatever, but that we can be the light and life of God, showing the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because we have been forgiven so much. Amen.